There are several people that are really scared when I get up here each time, and most of them left. Devin left. I was going to get on Devin. But Travis is still over there with Brainer, so I'll watch them. Brandon got up and left immediately. <laughs> I thought I'd check and see if Wesley and the Wall Dwellers are okay back there. Wes, are y'all doing okay? It's really good to be here. Um, I'm a proud papa when I, I see how well the church here is doing, and I was never one whit worried about it. Uh, in stepping down. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Ronnie Worsham. I was the original senior pastor here, and they they now treat me like a celebrity, but they forced me out, <laughs> told me that I needed to retire. Um, but I'm I'm just like uh, I'm a I'm a example of evolution. I just reinvent myself and go haunt everybody else. So, <laughs> but it has been good getting to be around the family of churches. Uh, I was with Wiley the last three weeks, and that was a lot of fun talking about the Sermon on the Mount there. Uh, I was um, I was in Denton uh, earlier this year. I've been over to Arlington earlier this year. I've also gotten to go to uh, UTD Family Night and be with UTD uh, this year. I was at UNT TWU Focus about three weeks ago, and then SMU, and then Colin this last week. So uh, it's it's I can just tell you that God has done some really special and neat things, and I've always felt um, very strongly that the vision that he gave me, that he was going to start something in Dallas and I was going to get to be a part of it, was very real. And in that regard, I've been a participant and often a spectator in what God is doing. But it's that way with the kingdom of God everywhere. It's that, that way with the world. And when we start think we are running things, we, we're being kind of silly. We're just playing child games in a very big universe. But when we get on board with God, we see ourselves as a part of a very significant thing that's God, that God is doing. So I want to say uh, I'm just really thankful for the job that the senior staff is doing here. I did intentionally leave them in a, in a bit of a state of flux so that they had plenty of choices, uh, that they would be forced to rethink a lot of things around here. Uh, take a fresh look at it. Uh, that's, I know, unsettling at times uh, for people. But in the rest of the church, just the ease with which you guys have, um, have, have worked with them and to see the church continuing to grow and, and be more and more, uh, more and more people coming in, our ministries, uh, just what a great year it's been with our uh, UTD and Richland focus groups bringing people to be a part of our church and how much we depend on that for so much of our new life in our church and just how God has planted us. But to get to be a part of track and see, uh, go every Tuesday night and just see what Akel and Clay and Abby and their team of people are 
are doing to bring in new people and give new opportunities to people that really have not had a seat at the table that was very comfortable for them a lot of times. And and to see Spark and to look back and see how much you guys have grown and the cohesiveness of that group with with uh, Jesse and that, that whole team. But it's changing. Uh, CTF is changing. And to see how God has molded and changed us and done things that we can't do, that he really is the vine dresser, that he really makes things grow, and it grows in his way and his time. And if we can just do our deal and quit trying to do his Uh, we'll be better off and the deal will go a whole lot better, if you know what I mean. And it's going well. And we must not ever start looking uh, at outside or worldly metrics for what God is doing. Each person here is very special and very important. And the people that you reach out to are very special and very important. And all of these little things that we're doing are all very important. And I want to urge you, you're already doing this, but as Peter would say, I'm going to urge you to do it more and more. Just do it more and more. You can always love more people. God has given us this amazing, infinite capacity to love people, to care about people, to learn about people, to to express things to people, to make the call, to let people know they're loved and cared about. I'm sure UTD was really glad to hear, well, Richland as well, that we're going to talk about the Bible this morning. I don't think that was actually planned. I think it just fell that way. But I will give you all of the real truths about the Bible to kind of uh, set all that up, and you won't have to listen this afternoon uh, to that. I'm really kidding, but uh, just in terms of of some things about the Bible. I think they asked me to do that because um, I think the church is well aware of how much I love the Bible, how much I love Scripture. And so I'm always delighted to get to talk about that. I will tell you that my views of Scripture have certainly changed as my perspective has grown, as I've wrestled with God and truth and the kingdom and the world that we're in and the ministry challenges that we face, it certainly has been um, trimmed. It's been changed. It's been reformed in some ways. But, But the core of it hasn't. As I mentioned, my physical chemistry teacher just mentioning the plausibility of of a scientist believing in God and that it was not implausible to believe in a God who was infinite and timeless. And I sat in a a class at the start of my junior year in these two very different worlds that had no connection for me. Uh, I don't remember anybody giving that a connection. The school I went to was today would look like a Christian school in this culture. Uh, it was just accepted. Everybody was a Christian, which they obviously were not, but it's, you didn't admit it if you weren't. And then I go to college, and there's a whole new culture setting up in 1970. Um, the whole uh, social and cultural shift was well underway in every facet of our society. The quote-unquote God is dead movement that had 
captured an old statement of Nietzsche from decades before, uh, came to light, and college professors were uh, free to question belief in God and everything Christian, and we're faced with that. I was lost. I was very, very lost. Now, from the worldly perspective, I cleaned up well, like so many of you have experienced. I, I did my deal. I, I was an athlete. I was a good student. Uh, unlike so many of you, I ran a whole household by myself, uh, cooking, cleaning, buying groceries. I did everything a, a, a housewife would do. I also drove a school bus uh, for our school. I, I drove on two different school trips with a load of high school students. Um, our world was different, suffice it to say. It was a very different, and my world was different. And I was someone that people already came to and asked advice. And I knew in my heart I was lost. I'm not even talking theologically here. I'm just talking about lost. I, I did not want to be alive. I didn't like the world I was in. And I was alone in that because I didn't know what other people thought. Others that felt the same thing, which were plenty, didn't speak out either. So I bled alone. I went through a deep depression my sophomore year in college, which I could not have explained what that was, but I was miserable. Most of that year, I was relatively miserable. I was unhappy. I pondered not being alive. I pondered the idea of, of, of suicide and, and what that would be like. And I just kind of limped through that year. And lots of things changed into my junior year. I moved into a place by myself. I got a job with the government. I made a lot more money. I was able to do some things that I'd not been able to do at that point. But nonetheless, I was still lost. But I was looking. I was thinking. And it was in that vein, after hearing that Christian chemistry professor just mention God, it gave me the confidence, I'm going to just go to church and see if I can look into this. Again, like so many, I didn't own a Bible. I didn't know what I didn't know. I had grown up Christian. We went to church. So don't get me wrong. I had heard these things, but church was ritual and it was something far removed from what we ever talked about at home and I didn't have a Bible we had some little Bible lessons but what I had had after my mom died particularly after my sixth grade year that was all gone so for the next seven eight nine years that wall went behind the moon for me there was no communication uh, there were just thoughts in my mind, and I was drifting in my mind, uh, lying awake at night thinking about that. And I got a Bible, and I started reading it. And it was a King James Version of the Bible. A language we did not speak in Tussie, Oklahoma, needless to say. <laughs> so I had to read the Bible with a dictionary. Um, and, and, and for you young people, that's actually a book that has words and definitions in it. Um, we had encyclopedia. It was not Wikipedia. It was an encyclopedia. Um, 
and they are very outdated now, so don't go read any of those. But uh, it was the best we had, and I learned. Um, I fell in love with the Bible. Studying science, I was studying psychology. I really hadn't even begun my study of philosophy, although I had looked into some of it uh, to try to understand what that was all about. But I was hearing about it in my humanities classes and even in my uh, freshman comp class. We talked about some of those things, and I was very intrigued by that. Um, So I came to a number of places over the years, and I will just tell you that in all my years of studying the sciences and studying psychology, both formally and informally, uh, studying philosophy at the college level, and then uh, lots of informal thinking and studying about it, reading some key books, and studying theology, which I may not be a super apostle, but I have read extensively in the area of theology. I have come down to believe that the most basic responsibility of each human being is to seek truth no matter what it is, where it is, or who agrees or disagrees. And notice I didn't say to seek God. I said to seek truth, just reality. And I say that because we have to survive. We have to live. Who can we trust? Who can we not trust? As little children, we have to learn, is this edible or is it not edible? What's okay? Who's okay? What's life all about? And we have to answer those questions, which as we grow up, it comes down to the three great questions. Where did we come from? Where are we going? And what are we doing here? Are we just animals? Are we just these highly evolved animals on a, on a rock hurtling through space for no reason at all? Or... Are we significant beings that while our crib may look small as a child in the nursery to a mom and dad somewhere, that child is the most significant being at that moment? Are we that with God? Is there that there? Thus came my, my decision in my earliest days that I said I reserve the right to change my mind at any time about anything. And it was because you just never know what you don't know. You never know what you're wrong about. And if we do what so many people do as Christians or as just people, that we decide by the time we're 21 or 22 what we believe about everything and go through life. Is it not scary to you that you would let a 21-year-old decide what you were going to believe for the rest of your life? You know what I'm saying? That's why we try to get young people to really let people speak into their dating relationships. You're going to let a 16-year-old pick your mate? But that's how many people live their life. They pick their girl or guy, 
and the studies on how you pick are real scary. And, and then we live with that, and then we wonder why the divorce rate and the marital discontent rate is so high. Well, I decided along the way to, that when people teach us what to think, they are mostly teaching us not to think. We see that played out in our society every day. Our politics are so ridiculously ignorant, it's embarrassing. All of it. People who are like, have you had a thought? Does anything, is anything going on in there except you just absorbing stuff from idiots and repeating it? I, I'm not meaning to be insulting, but we all say that. But the thing that I would challenge you right now is you see it, so don't do it. We are lights on a lampstand. We're the salt of the earth. We've got to speak the word of God. <clears throat> One of the first scriptures that really moved me was Psalm 19. And what moved me was just the statement about the heavens declaring the handiwork of God because I was trying to understand science in the Bible. But what changed me was the middle part. And I, I learned it in a song. And I sang it a few years ago at the leader conference. And and the leaders were all very uncomfortable because I sang the whole hymn. <laughs> but it just simply goes, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Oh, it goes on. The statues of the Lord are right, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. In concluding, saying, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, is thy servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. You know, I can stand here today as a man who has been zealous in every way of trying to serve God. I made a commitment, and I've stuck with that commitment. <clears throat> I was very damaged then. And there's very damaged places in me this very day. But those are just the messengers of Satan that torment me. But, and those are the things that I can juxtapose how God feels about me against how I feel about me. About the judgments of the world. And it's that very principle that has driven me to, to learn the Scripture. The second thing I believe is that honest, maturing human will live each moment and each day as sensibly and practically as possible in regard to the truth as they perceive it. Now listen to me a second. What we say we know 
in this world is simply what we believe the strongest. And hopefully we believe it the strongest because we have the most evidence to support it as truth. We humans cannot not live by faith. We cannot not live by faith. And this notion that philosophy and science wants to posit to us that they live by science and reason and Christians live by faith, blind faith, is ridiculous. Science is built on theories, which is simply what science believes to be the truth based on the best evidence they have. And I fully support that notion. But let's not fool ourselves with what we know. Everyone will ultimately live by faith in something. And then the third thing is, is I believe it's the responsibility of each person to be diligent, to keep growing, seeking truth, developing your thoughts and changing your mind. For those of you that have been Christians a long time, I would challenge you, don't stop. The best things are ahead. But too many people make their commitment to Christ and think, okay, this is the best time. Well, only if you let it be. But the more you learn about God, the more the whole vista of God opens up to you the more opportunities you have to learn. And it's that way in any discipline of learning. You, you learn the, the, the deeper things about it. And if, if you've quit learning as an older person, you, it's your fault. Shame on you. I don't make any apologies for having changed my views significantly on a number of things. Because I decided to keep growing and I'm still growing. I'm still reading. I'm still studying. I'm still learning. And, and the beauty of it is at my stage of life and learning, those little bitty incremental bits of learning that I get can just be so enriching and even life changing. So don't stop. The two arenas of objectively seeking the truth are arguably creation and history. Now notice, again, I didn't say God and the Bible. Although I'm going to jump to that in just a second. But what we have, the obvious thing that we all have, is the world we live in. We have object lessons in each other. Little babies are looking up at mom and dad, and you can see their little blurry eyes like, who the heck are you? And, and what they don't realize is mom's looking in their eyes and thinking, why did I do this? <laughs> Kidding. Sometimes, sometimes maybe. Not feeling qualified often, for sure. And then we have history. The, what's gone on around us. And, and for most of humanity's existence, that's what they had the world around them, and then what they knew of history. And what was right was good, and what wasn't right may not have been good. 
And as to creation, the Bible simply states, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is no attempt on behalf of our scripture to try to defend itself. And when you look at the human story as humans spread out, all of the early humans had a creation story. Well, if there was a creation and it was passed down by oral history, everybody would have a story to tell about creation, right? And if there was a flood, as people moved out, then they would be telling this story about this worldwide flood that happened that just changed everything. But our Bible just simply posits that God created everything. And then what we see in our New Testament is, this should, that should be John 1, 3, I didn't put the reference there, but through Him, Jesus, all things were made. So as Jesus is revealed in our Scripture, we suddenly see that it was through Jesus that this creation was affected and there's nothing that has been made was made without Him. And as I stated earlier, Psalm 19 verse 1 simply states, the heavens declare the glory of God. Is there anything humans look at more and look up and think God? It's that thing that, that the poorest person that can see can gaze at in wonderment. And whether you know the science of it or not, you still look up and see something vast beyond our imagination and just wonder. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Paul writes in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, he's saying since the creation of the visible, God's invisible qualities are clearly perceived through the things that are made. And he mentions two specific parts of that is his eternal power. And that answers this question about where we've come from and where we're going. And not only do we see a creation that seems to have no end, we see existence as having no end or beginning. I'm talking about existence, not me. Existence. Infinite, eternal, a timeline that just simply has arrows on both ends of it. He says that, that these things have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. That we can understand the engineer and the architect and the artist by what we see created. And that we can understand a whole lot about God's eternal power. Because we are units of power. Every one of us is operating on energy right now. And our most basic unit that we use is called a calorie. And we get our energy from other things that get their energy from creation. And he's saying we see this eternal power. That is a temporary power in our context. It's the invisible that is eternal. And what God has done in creation, how He redeems it, how this existence folds into a new heaven and a new earth, we don't know. We can all just stand in awe and wonder as how God might do this. But that's what we see going to be done. 
So as we study creation, we've got it pointing us to God, and then we've got history over here. And that's where we're going to see the Bible come in. But what the Bible tells us about not only the creating of it, that the sustaining of it. It's no wonder that science cannot figure out where over 90% of creation is. We just call it dark energy and matter. That doesn't baffle me. I'm not sure we'll ever be able to experience that way. But it's science's faith. And it's, it's arguing for us. We believe that there's this invisible energy that is sustaining even the present visible energy. And that when we become Christians, that God, in fact, plugs us into the invisible energy and we have a life that is beyond this world. We have eternal life that will take us into the age to come. But Hebrews 1 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things. Sustaining all things. What is making our universe speed up instead of slow, slow down? <laughs> and then we look into the quantum realm, as I've stated here before. I believe we're looking into the link between the visible and the invisible, where things don't behave like they behave in classic physics. They behave in ways that look a lot more like what we see as we look into the heavenly visions of our Bible. But as to history, the Bible wor worldview ultimately is that all roads lead to Jesus as Creator and Lord. As I've told the apprentices over the years, if you want to understand the Old Testament, it's that Jesus is Lord. It's designed to get us to the conclusion, to give us the history that we need, the evidence that we need to make that conclusion. He really is. It's unbelievable. And what we see in these climactic moments of Jesus' life, in his encounter with the worldly judge Pilate, and Pilate was trying to query him about, now who are you? Who do you say you are? And so Pilate says, you are a king then. He's bringing him in, trying to say, this is what you're saying. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. This truth that John says in John 1, 14, we have beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, full of grace and truth. But what Jesus says is everyone who, who stands on the side of truth listens to me. And that leads to just a brief discussion about our subject today, our scriptures that we know is the Bible. It would be too long of a subject to explain any of it. We don't have time to discuss why we believe the Bible scriptures. I would say if you want more on this, go to, to, to Pizza Theology today and be with them. They're going to be delving into some of this. But with that said, what we see about this thing, this historical narrative we have called the scriptures, is that they're inspired. 
Now, biblically, that's a word that just means it's breathed out by God. Paul writes, all scripture is God breathed. Now, again, we can discuss what was he referring to when he talks about the scripture. We know he's talking about the Old Testament. But I think he wrote with authority and those people that read his writings accepted them as authoritative as they did the others. Peter even refers to Paul's writings as scripture um, by inference. But the scripture is inspired. Now again, too many people say the Bible is God's word. I think we need to be careful about saying that especially to a world that doesn't know what we mean. Our scripture was not handwritten by God. It did not fall out of heaven on tablets of stone. We have ten commandments that did, and we have God speaking from heaven and people testifying that he did, and that's recorded. But the question is, is how is it God's word and how is it inspired? I know for me, in reading it, I was blown away by its psychology, continue to be. I'm blown away by its science. I'm blown away by its philosophy because it is so alive and, and does not have the corruption and the selfish ignorance of humans on it. Our scripture is from God. It's breathed by God. Number two, the scriptures lead us to God. But it's, it's, we have to be careful. The evangelical church, the fundamentalist church, has created, turned the Bible into an idol that we worship the Bible. The Bible is, is no more a, a way to experience God within itself than a marriage book is me reading thinking I have a good marriage. A good marriage book is to help me not be so stupid that my wife doesn't want to have anything to do with me so that I can learn to relate to a female, a woman, a wife, a mother, and vice versa. The Bible is designed to lead us to God. What Jesus said to the Pharisees, who were the fundamentalist Jews, he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think it's in the scriptures you have eternal life. And it is these scriptures that bear testimony to me. But listen to what he says. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I think we see played out in the public arena all the time people that claim to be Christian but don't look much like Jesus. They don't sound like they know the Jesus of the Bible that says don't hit, hate, and hurt. Don't be ugly and mean and judgmental and cruel and cold. Who are you? When we come to Jesus, we become life givers. We come to Jesus, this river of life will flow from us. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. We become a spring. The torrent may put out fires, but it is the the torrent that's required for humans to have eternal life. The scriptures are designed to lead us to God. Now, I don't have a good drawing of this, but we're going to put this up here. 
If you, if you read Discovering Jesus, Focus on Jesus has this. This is a summation of, I'll just, I'll just claim personal credit for it, but, but there's a lot of other people involved, of my hermeneutic. How do we use the Bible to come to God? Well, what we see in the Bible, if we think of it as an orb, round, with layers, what we see when we look at our scripture is important for us to know that we're looking first at these people who wrote it. Who's Paul? Who's Jesus? Who's Peter? Who's Yodi and Sintichi? What are we talking about here when we read these people? And these people lived in a culture. And if, if we're not careful, we just, we just look and think, oh, we're supposed to be just like Paul. Well, that makes you a first century Jew apostle. And you're probably not going to do very good imitating that. Um, in a culture, a world that's very different than ours. Not, it was fallen, just as fallen as ours is. And even the religion of the time, when you try to imitate the Corinthians as they try to imitate Christ, you're going to have some problems. Corinth was a very different place, a very different time. But the goal is not for us to, to memorize this. This is like a peanut hole. And if you're just chewing on this, it's not going to be very nourishing. But what all of this in our scripture, this historical perspective, is designed to help us to see the God in it all. The God in it all. And that's what the Jews did. They thought it was in their obeying these rules that they had God. He said, but you don't come to me. Read the book and then go find God. He's here. I can look in this room and see Jesus everywhere. But some of you can't yet. I can look at creation and see God. And, and you see this in our poets and writers and spiritual people as they try to express what they're seeing. You know, there, there was a, an old song we used to sing. I know Mark and Julie know it. My kids know it. But it was just, have you seen Jesus, my Lord? He's here in plain view. Take a look, open your eyes, and he'll show it to you. And it really is that way. But fundamental of Bible study, you've got to peel those layers back, which I'll say something more about in conclusion in a moment. Number three, the scriptures must be used correctly. The scriptures, it's called the sword of the spirit, the word of God is, which the scriptures bring to us. It's a sword, it's sharp. And you can do some good things with that or you can kill people with it. And the scriptures have been misused like that. It's like this whole thing about gun control. You can do some wonderful things with weapons like that. And you can do some dastardly things with them as well. It's paramount that with something that's this potent that we learn to use it well and carefully. Be careful who you aim it at and when you aim it. And when you aim it, you better be ready to use it. And if you don't don't know how to use it, don't aim it at all yet. Learn to use the scripture. What Paul says to a young person he had trained who was probably about 40 when he wrote this, but nonetheless, he said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. 
and who correctly handles the word of truth. When you misuse the word of God, you ought to be ashamed. Because God has a purpose for it. And that's what he said through Isaiah in Isaiah 55. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so are the words that come forth from my mouth. They will not evaporate back to me empty, but they will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. Do you know why God sent His Word? Do you have that in your mind? Well, what He says in Isaiah is, you will go out in joy and you will be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst in the song before you. What He's saying is creation will sing to you. You will see Me everywhere. This will be for the Lord's renown, an everlasting sign that will not be destroyed. Go read Isaiah 55. It's a beautiful chapter of Scripture. You ought to memorize it. The Word of God can be incorrectly handled, and it's important. This chapter, by the way, starts, But you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our Bible leads us to Jesus, and we see in Jesus this graceful God whose invitation is, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you can get to Daddy, you're safe. You'll find the safety. You don't have to know where you're going. If you get to your dad, if you get to your father, you're safe. And he'll guide you. And he'll protect you. And he will lead you. And I can attest he's done that with me. Number four, write the scripture on your heart. I talk about this all day long. People say, how do you memorize so many scriptures? I memorize some scripture. Most of what I know is simply by teaching it and reading it and sharing it and sharing it and singing it and writing it. What David said in that great psalm about the Word of God, Psalm 119, he says, I've hidden your Word in my heart. Literally, I've written it there. I've stored it there. It's there. So I won't sin against you. Peter said it this way, if anyone speaks, let them speak the very words of God. I love quoting Scripture, especially those that Jesus spoke that summarize all the other Scriptures. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. On and on and on. Paul wrote it in Colossians 3.16, Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. So practicals. Number one, learn the biblical framework and structure. The first two chapters of discovering Jesus out there, and if you want one and can't afford it, I'll give you one. It's in there for a reason. Focus has some of this stuff. There's plenty of stuff written on this. We can help you. But learn the biblical framework if you're going to correctly handle it. It's like a gun. It's like a weapon. It's like a tool. It's like your computer. It's like your iPhone. You've got to learn some basics if you want to use it well, right? 
Well, the Bible is that way. It does have sensibility, human intelligence, and the fingerprints of God guiding the putting it together. Memorize the book categories. There's different kinds of literature here. You need to know what you're reading. You do not read poetry the same way you read a history book, right? We know that. But we come to the Bible and we get stupid sometimes because we don't learn some of the basics Number three, learn the books and their main subject. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know what I'm saying? Memorize them. Memorize them. It'll make you look smart if you can pronounce some of them. And some of you need to be made to look smarter. Just kidding. I was thinking about a few people kind of right in the middle section right there. Strotter. No, I'm sorry. I mean that. I'm just joking. Not really. But anyway, number five. Decide on Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? Ultimately, it's that. Jesus said, unless you believe I'm the one I claim to be, you will die in sin. We don't need to equivocate. Most Christians are, though. How can you read the Bible, which is our only historical narrative about him, and then equivocate on that? You're going to go rewrite it? What qualification? qualifications do you have to discount things that are clearly written? I don't have them. Number six, read whole books. Read whole books. These, most of these books were written, by the way, to be read out loud. With your, with your Bible on your phone, you can listen and read at the same time, and it's a very enriching way to study. Number seven, develop list of topical references. If you, do you know just some scriptures that really mean a lot to you on faith, repentance, scriptures on Jesus? You know, I had a girl tell me Jesus never said he was the Messiah. And I said, how about I who speak to you am he? How about that one? Uh, she didn't know it was in there. People say stuff. My dad used to just say stuff about, well, the Bible says somewhere And finally, I read it one day, and my dad would say that, and I said, Dad, you've been saying that all these years. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, it does. I said, Dad, I've read the whole thing, and you haven't. It doesn't say that. You have made that up. But so much about what the world is saying about Jesus, they just made up. But when you know those things and you have references, you can use the Scripture to bless people. Number eight, discuss what you're learning often. Discuss it with people. I I taught junior high. I've taught the little bitty kids. I've taught high school. I've taught college students and I've taught old people like as old as, well, I don't even think Jack's here today. Somebody needs to check and see where Jack is today. I don't think he's reading his Bible and I think he's missed. Um, He did go to the Plano East game. I heard Friday night though, so he was able to go do that. Jack is my big brother, so I'm, he, he deserves that. He beat me up often and early. <laughs> Teach people. Teach every chance you get then. Jesus said, go make disciples and I'll be with you. I am never closer to God than when I'm sharing Scripture with other people. Not in my prayer time, not in my reading time. Jesus said, you go make disciples and I'll be with you. To the close of the age. And trust me, Jesus does what he says. The proverb says, every word of God proves true. And you can bank on that one. God, I pray for this church. I'm so thankful 
for each and every person here. And I pray you breathe your spirit on us more richly and fully. And I pray that your river of life from flow from us to your glory and honor and praise. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.